1: It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's... Smart Garden. Yes, good morning with Julie Weisenheimer. No, we're, <laughs> jo- we're joking. Yeah, You've heard that before,
2: haven't you? Uh, too yes. many times I to count. I bet you have. Yes, I've heard like that. Carl's Den- heard it more than I have because he grew up with this name. I just married into it.
1: And uh, Sid used to say, Den- Denny Short. <laughs> For years. That was years ago. <laughs> but Julie Weisenhorn is, is really with us today from the University of Minnesota. Getting ready for the fair. Yes, we're going to be there. You're going to be there one week from today. I'll
2: be there next Saturday, yeah. yeah. Would you right wait for me? Nearly. I'll be there, too. Sure, yeah, sure. Good. I'll get you a coffee.
1: By the way, our uh, Smart Garden Show brought to us by By the Yard Outdoor Furniture, that great furniture made right down there in Jordan, Minnesota. They're going to be at the fair, too, and we'll talk about that coming up. But as you know, if you're familiar with the show, we tend to get real busy. Julie does a lot of work here, and Mary, and... Teresa, Sam, and everybody else. The whole gang. Now, who's going to be with you one week from today?
2: Uh, Dr. Eric Watkins, oh, our yes. one of our turf professors, will be there, and uh, he's always a good good time.
1: So, that's one week yeah. from today. All yeah. Way. Well, if you do have a lawn or garden question today, 651-989-9226, or send a text, 81807. 81807. Days are getting shorter. And I was telling you that. By the way, those pickles that you <laughs> oh, gave us yeah? were we had them last night. Nice, and a lot of them. Yeah, really good.
2: Yeah, it was always a good. That seems to be a really—we're uh, on a trend of good pickles, Kathy. You're gonna be so. getting
1: blue ribbons for those things.
2: Well, we've talked about putting them in the fair, but I, we've never investigated the logistics about that. I've talked with uh, Grace Anderson, who's one of a master gardener and works in our plant pathology clinic, and and she's a Gedney queen. She, Ooh. I mean, literally has won the big Gedney. And I asked her one time, she goes, oh, she goes, it's, it's very crazy. You know what you have to go through. So Is it really? I don't know if we'd be Gedney queens, but we might enter them. Who knows? Oh, those are good. Yeah. No,
1: you make a couple different kinds.
2: We make a uh, refrigerator pickles and we make dill pickles. Oh. Hey, I got to wish my mom and dad a happy anniversary! Today. How many is 61 this? Sixty-one no years. No kidding! Mm-hmm. Happy anniversary, mom and dad. Well, yes. Glad you got together. Good God. <laughs> I wouldn't be here. <laughs> That's
1: right. I'd be by myself. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Congratulations! That's yeah, fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's pretty awesome.
1: Well, again, if you uh, if you have a phone uh, in uh, question for Julie, by all if means, you have a
2: phone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you have a phone, call us six five one nine eight nine nine two two six, or send a text. It's not. It's it's we must we be at the fair now. We have a couple texts already. You want to grab one? Sure. Before yeah. we uh, go Somebody's to the Somebody's
2: asking about uh about basil. Uh does planting sweet basil in the ground produce larger leaves than planting in a deck planter my daughter has? Her plant has huge leaves while in the ground ours are in a pot which are small. So y- y- actually, yeah, that is one of the things that uh that can influence the size of the plant and and Including the leaves, so, mm. uh, you, you know, when you're in the soil, you just have a bigger growing area. You've got more moisture. Uh, the soil is is has got a lot of organic matter mixed in. So yeah, that that could be one of the reasons. Could also be the location, more sun. That's true. Yeah, you know, might be what your daughter put. Maybe she mixed in compost at the beginning, and that adds a lot of uh, lightness to the soil. And versus a, a couple of different variants. Yeah, it could be lots of things. But yeah, I, I think um, it, that's probably one of the big reasons.
1: Right, Julie, back to the phones we go. Anne is calling from uh, Elk River. Good morning, Anne.
2: Good morning.
3: I have a hardy hibiscus. It's been in the ground about 10 years. I'd like to know, is it possible to split it, and what time of the year should I do it?
2: Boy, that is a good question. I am not sure about being able to split those plants. It depends on the type of root system. If it's a fibrous root system where, being a 10-year-old plant, it could actually just Pull apart, um, or it could have a central root, a tap root, that is a um, or, or or that all of the plants, all of the stems are coming off of the same root. So I'm not sure what kind of root system. The best thing to do is is uh, maybe do a little investigation on online and find out what kind of root system a hibiscus has. Is if it and to check in the about splitting it. And I'm so I'm kind of right out of the bat. Mm. You got me a little stumped on that one.
1: Okay, thank you. Yep. Would the website have any information on that?
2: I don't think we have anything on the hardy hibiscus. Okay. That's that's a pretty particular one. But I think that if you look on some of the gardens websites, garden garden center websites like Bachman's or some of the others, they might, Gertons, they might have that information. Okay.
1: Marilyn's calling in from uh, Plymouth with a question. Go ahead, Marilyn. Hi.
0: uh, My question is last year I was with a girlfriend out to the Apple
2: Stand You're oh, out at yep. the Arboretum. Apple House. Mm-hmm. And I,
0: I remember there was a beautiful display of gourds. And what I'm actually looking for is a turban. I think it's called a turban squash. Right. And it's actually for a watercolor class, and I need to come oh, up with okay. this in the next few days to paint. Um, where do you think I could find a turban squash, and would they have them out at the Arboretum yet?
2: Uh, I, I'm not sure, but you could call the Arboretum and ask them. They have a, a farm that actually grows a lot of those unique squash that you see on display and that are also at the Apple House for sale. Um, so you could give them a holler, ask them. I'm not sure if they're picking those yet. It's kind of early still, um, but, but check with them. And then um, probably call or go down to one of the big farmer's markets and see what you can find. If you can't find the turban squash, there might be something that's similar that would be equally good as a subject.
1: Hmm. Okay. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Texter says, considering snow on the mountain for ground cover under my maple tree. What do you think of that?
2: Well, snow on the mountain is a very uh, aggressive plant. Uh, It's a great ground cover for shady areas. And if that is what you want then then that would probably be a pretty good choice the roots are quite shallow but but just bear in mind that once you plant it if it it's probably going to spread into a lot of different areas so <laughs> give it a lot of room and and just be prepared to kind of keep it under control if uh, if it's if you've got beds planted around that that area or grass it'll go right into your grass so. it really does it's it pretty really aggressive is, yeah <laughs> yeah it's good on hillsides or shady areas where you don't walk a lot yeah. and you don't really care what you know you just want to fill it in but under a maple tree, if it's in the middle of your lawn or if it's near something else, it might be better to Ooh. choose something like Pacissandra might be better. That's another shade-tolerant ground cover. And it's not variegated like snow on the mountain, but it's pretty cool-looking plant.
1: All right. We, Julie, have to take a break, but we have more show to come. 651-989-9226 or send Julie a text, one Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show. Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is with Woo-hoo! us today and will be again next All right. week yeah. at the Minnesota State Fair, our broadcast Yes, center. indeed. So you can ask your questions, of Julie uh, and Eric. Yeah, and Eric. Um, yeah, live, ask right him. There. The, throw those turf questions the Turf question. Him. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, he's the pro. All right, let's get back to the phones, Julie. Folks have been waiting, like uh, Marilyn and wow, uh, Egan. Nice people. Marilyn, thanks for waiting. What can we do for you?
3: Well, I have two, uh, I planted two peony plants a couple of years ago, and the one is beautiful and flowers all the time. The other one is smaller, it looks green in that, but never flowers, so I must have planted it too deep. What I'd like to know is can I dig it up? And replant it. Will it ever bloom, or should I just get rid of it and start over?
2: Well, I think um, we have an excellent publication on our website about it's. In fact, it's entitled "Planting Peonies," and um, and so spring and fall are both good times to to plant peonies in Minnesota. And its chances are it is planted too deeply. That's one of the, if the rest of the plant is healthy. Uh, then it could be that case too. Um, It could be that they're too deep. So when you want to plant them, uh, you want to make sure that the eyes are pointed upward. Those are, uh, they're on the root there. And then um, you want to go ahead and only plant it about one and a half inches deep. So I would would try, if you like the place the peony is, I would take a a fork, like a, a garden fork, and I would gently lift it and see if you can just lift it in place. Or if it, if it's in a, a location that's too shady, you might want to move it to a sunnier spot. I think both of those would be good options. So, But again, it's an inch and a half deep is only. And take that's a look it, if you uh? have access to the internet. Uh, Marilyn is to take a look at that planting peonies and maybe take a read before you get outside wow. and do that. But you can do that now. Okay. So you can take care of that now so it's ready for spring.
1: Very good. Thanks, Marilyn. Uh, let's see who is next. It would be Ralph calling from Plymouth. Ralph, you're on with Julie. Yeah, morning, good morning.
3: I've got uh, four crab apple trees that have been doing poorly and poorly. They're dropping leaves like crazy this year. and uh, losing branches.
2: Losing branches. Hmm. Well, the leaves could be they could be could be apple scab. That's a common issue with some uh, cultivars of of uh, um, crab apples. And they do drop their leaves. That's one of the results of that. But, uh, again, we have a great pub on actually on just apples in general, diseases, and there's, it's on pest management, and there's information on different, different uh, issues. We also have a good tool that you might want to check out, uh, and this applies to all lots of plants, is called What's Wrong With My Plant, and it's a diagnostic tool on our website and you can go ahead and look at apples and then look at a lot of pictures to see what matches or what description matches the issue that you have. And then there's a link to the resources. So um, that site's extension.umn.edu and click on the garden tab, go to Yard and Garden. And then in this case, Ralph, you'd go to the fruits and you'd look up apples and that applies to crab apples too. So, okay. Or go to What's Wrong With My Plan. You could start there.
1: Great info there. Yeah, not a good that's
2: great. But as far as the branches dropping, I'm not really sure what that might be. So, you know, if you have an issue with a lot of trees, and it sounds like you got four, four trees you're concerned about, is you can always contact a certified arborist to come in and take a look at those and assess the situation.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Ralph. Joyce is calling from Spring Lake Park. Joyce, you're on with Julie.
2: Hi, Julie. Hello.
0: I just was wondering, is it too late to plant perennials like lavender in the grasses?
2: Well, the lavender is a tender perennial, and so it's kind of, depending on the cultivar or the variety that you choose, it's a little bit touchy. It's it's a plant that needs to stay moist. You you consider it kind of almost like an evergreen, uh, where you water it, water it, water it until it, you know, if it's dry, until the frost comes, and um, so... You could plant it now. We're getting we're getting close to where um, the the plants are going to. They need to establish strong roots before they go into the colder season. So we're we're kind of getting into you know end of August or so. Um, I would say if you're going to plant them, do it do it quickly, do it now, and so those plants can establish a good root system before they get into the to the cold season. But w- lavender is tricky because it, it it's a tender perennial, and I would probably I'd recommend probably covering it with chopped up leaves to protect it through this through the winter. I always say give it a whirl. You know, it's a great plant, beautiful plant. I've got it in my yard. But I always cover it to uh, hold that moisture in and, and keep those roots protected through the winter.
1: Very good. Let's go back to Kay. I think Kay has another uh, peony question. Uh, Kay and Goodhue, good morning.
3: Good morning. Morning. Uh, yes, I have a fern fern peony, and it blossomed beautifully. But now it's the leaves are not nice and green. They're just kind of grayish.
2: Oh, they're powdery mildew.
3: Oh, so what do I do? Is that going to kill it?
2: No, it won't kill it. Powdery mildew is a a fungus that's in the environment. I mean, it's it's a lot of places. And uh, peonies are susceptible to it in particular, and they get this kind of dusty gray look to the leaves. Um, the best thing to do is when those leaves die back is to cut them off this fall and then dispose of them and uh, and to uh, kind of tidy up that area. If you have other fallen leaves, um, in the case of peonies, um, you know, it's just something that it's something that happens. It's not going to kill the plant, though. It's just kind of unsightly.
1: All right. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Let's uh, grab this text before we uh, head to the break, Julie.
2: Okay. Slugs have infested my hosta garden. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Will my hostas return next year? Yes. What is the best way to get rid of all slugs now? Impossible. <laughs> Those slugs are are very, per, you know, very, very, um, uh, quite a presence in hosta. And we've had a lot of rain. That's one of the things. A couple things you can do, though. You can... Uh, uh, Put down some mulch underneath, some woody mulch underneath your hostas. That will help to make a coarse uh, environment for them crawling. They don't they have soft bodies, so they don't like to be on sharp things. That's one thing you can do. You can, depending on if this is you know logistically feasible, but you can trim up the lower leaves of your hostas to add light to bring light down to the base of the plant. And what that will do is create a. a, a a sunnier location, and the slugs, of course, they like shady, dark locations. Um, if it's just a few hostas, uh, you can also, there's also a, a where you put down a, a, a board on the ground, and in the morning you pick it up and scrape the slugs off of it. They go underneath there, and they hide under there. Some people have put diatomaceous earth, which is a kind of crushed up seashells kind of stuff, um, that's to make a coarse Environment where it's unfavorable for the slugs as well, so those are a couple things that you can do. I recommend trimming up the the lower leaves i the if the plants are big and healthy it's not going to be a problem. Create a sunnier environment around the base of the plant and then put mulch down.
1: Some people don't they use beer
2: yeah, and actually Jeff Gilman, who was a, a he's a former professor from our department, he wrote a great book on um, garden myths and he tested that like yeah. home remedies, and so he tested that. <laughs> I think he tested all different kinds of beer, <laughs> but one of the things he did say with that and you use a you use a like a pie pan, yeah. pie plate or something, and you sink it to the level of, or you could use like a lid of a big container or something, and you sink it to the level of the ground, and you have to put the beer in so it's low enough so the slugs have to reach over the edge and fall, and they fall Can't into the out. beer and drown. Mm. If you make it, if you put it at the level. They'll just come and drink and go back. Go back. are so, feeding them. Yeah, you're basically going. Come on up. Be happy you know, hour. Ha- yeah, happy <laughs> hour. slug happy hour. So that that does work too. But a lot of people, you know, they don't keep up on it. And it yeah. It's kind of gross. It and, is. You know. So that's I I I'd rather have people change their cultural, uh, you know, the way that they manage the space yeah. rather than than that putting down a bunch of stuff.
1: All right, Julie, we have to take a break. We have another half hour of the show to go. So if you're on the line, hang on, and uh, the texters will grab more text messages as well. This is the Smart Garden Show on 830-WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show brought to us by By the Yard Outdoor Furniture. We appreciate that. We'll talk about that coming up. And the Minnesota State Fair as well. Denny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is helping us out, and she will do that again live from our broadcast Woo-hoo! center one week from today. Yeah,
2: I like to do the fair in that yeah. time of day. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Then we
1: go and get a lot of folks uh, coming up to you and ask your questions, too, for sure. So we look forward to that. I will look forward to your questions either by phone or by text this morning, 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. Tony is calling from South St. Paul with a question. Go ahead, Tony.
3: Uh, good morning. Say, I've got some sumac, and they've been around for, well, maybe 30 years, and I've noticed some green little pods they're about the size of a golf ball, and I've not seen them before. They're, they're growing right out of the tips of the stems on the, on the leaves. Those... I've open open, and there, there's a little bit of kind of white powderish in there.
2: Okay. They're probably a type of gall. So galls are harmless. They're usually produced by some kind of insect feeding, a mite or something, a midge or something like that. So it's more of just an oddity. And some years you just see them more than others, so
3: it's it, not a lot of them. It's, yeah, it's you know, nothing to have not seen before.
2: Yeah, it's just nothing to worry about. It's just kind of a, okay. a weird um, galls are it strange. Yeah, we see them on a lot of maple tree leaves right now. I saw a bunch on hackberry, and they're all different. Okay. In fact, we have a really good publication on our website about galls. If you want to learn more about galls, okay. but they're kind of funky.
3: Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. I broke one I thought there might be a little critter in there or something. But, yeah. you know, it's just a little bit of a little bit of white dust or, you know, it's just sure. something I've not seen before. Yeah.
2: But yep. Very good. Yeah. Thank All you, right. Tony. Thanks, Tony.
1: Appreciate the call. Uh, Wayne is calling from Shoreview uh, with a question. Wayne, you're on with Julie.
3: Yeah, Julie, I was just wondering. We were given a plant called a bromeliad.
2: Bromeliad?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. And we want to know how to keep it growing good. And uh, anything you know about bromeliad?
2: Bromeliad, yeah, <laughs> bromeliad. Sorry so that. that's okay. That's all right. So the uh, so bromeliads are tropical plants. They are um, grown indoors and uh, usually in conservatories. And they can get some. Some can be very, very large. They're very showy plants, as you probably noticed from the one you have. And uh, watering them, when, you want to water them when they're dry. You don't want to keep them wet all the time. But when you water them, you can water them so that the water falls into the leaf. You know, the leaves kind of form a little, little pocket around the stem, and you can just water them so that water sits in there. It'll trickle down and feed the roots, and that's a normal uh, occurrence. They kind of hold water in those spaces, and so you can uh, water them that way. But make sure they drain well. Don't let them sit in water. So if if it's inside of another pot, take it out, set it in the sink. I'd recommend if you, if you have rain barrels to water them with rainwater or to get uh, just buy a gallon of, of uh, the, the water that you can get at the grocery store. It's reverse osmosis water. I'd have one of those because these are tropicals and they uh, tend to burn on the tips if you have fluoride in your water. Um, You don't really need to fertilize them very much, and if you do, it would just be a household fertilizer. Very, very dilute, maybe half to a quarter strength.
1: Okay. Text numbers 81807. Here's one, Julie. Something ate all the flowers off my impatience. What could that be?
2: That's a bummer. Yeah. Um, It could be any number of critters. It might be a rabbit. Uh, It could be an insect that uh, fed on those. It could also be uh, if you've noticed the leaves on the bottom, if they're, like, down around the base of the plant, it could also be downy mildew, which is a uh, mildew that grows on the underside of impatiens. If these are the standard garden impatiens, walleriana is the species um, that uh, grow in the shade. These uh, That's an issue that comes from greenhouse management primarily, but um, can be— um, if you plant them in the same place year after year, it'll it'll reside in the soil, and you need to stop planting your impatience in that case. So, um, that those could be some reasons. Uh, hard to say what critter it is. If it, it's an animal, you got to just catch it in the
1: act. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Texas says my endless summer hydrangea has light green leaves on it. Can I fertilize that now?
2: Yeah. So right now we're getting to the point where we don't really want to be fertilizing our our shrubs and. Um, Perennials, because they're going to be starting to, I'm sorry to say, move into dormancy. And so uh, we don't want to prompt any new growth right now. And uh, that's not to say you wouldn't maybe fertilize your grass at this point. That's another story. But with these perennials, we want them to just kind of stop putting out new growth and just move uh, in a natural way into the the winter months. Oh, I hate to no. say that. Sorry. <laughs> I felt a little pain in my back right then. <laughs> But uh, that's, uh, that's one of the things. So now wouldn't be the time to do that. How
1: about transplanting hostas and sedum now, or better to wait till spring?
2: Uh, I, I like to wait till spring for those. One of the, and the big reason is is that you're going to break off the sedum. It's going to look awful. The hostas, it's tough to move those big hostas. It's easier to move them when they're small and they're just emerging from the ground. So that's, what I would, that's a good time to divide them, too, is in the spring. I wouldn't do that now.
1: Back to the phones we go. Susan is calling from Minatrista with a question. Go ahead, Susan.
3: Hi. I uh, purchased a Minnesota redbud tree this past spring. Sure. And it was the last tree in the lot, and <laughs> it was on sale. And I'm not sure um, what to do because when I when I purchased it, I still the receipt and everything, but when I purchased it, um, there's like two feet, it's probably about six, and a half feet tall. I'm just okay. estimating. And the the middle branches um, on the top for about one and a half feet didn't didn't flower or bud. And the rest of the trees doing fairly well. I mean it seems like it's slow. Um I just you know just planted it this spring. Sure. I, the canopy's only like three
2: yeah four it's feet small. Wide. Yeah it's still got a ways to go. Yeah. yeah, so yep.
3: I don't know, should I um, take it, have it um, exchange it, or is there something? I'm not sure, I don't really understand why those branches aren't leafing or there aren't any buds on them. Okay,
2: so I think the best thing to do is leave the tree in the ground, and I would, if you haven't, I would mulch it. Uh, it's gotten a lot of rain this summer, but uh, make sure as we go into fall, if we get into some dry conditions, that you keep watering it so that that soil is moist, not wet, but moist. And, um, and, and mulch it with a fairly good-sized ring. I know it's a small tree now, but, you know, go about six foot wide if you can. That would be great, unless it's in a garden bed already. We just want to avoid having to trim around it if you have grass on it or having any grass competing with the surface roots. And then I would wait until spring. And usually plants and trees have a year warranty on them. In a lot of garden centers, some have two-year warranties. And then see how it does in the spring. See if it flowers. Those two branches might just be results of, they might have died as a result of transplant stress. And, uh, and so just see what happens in the spring. And I'm always a, a fan of waiting to watch and letting the tree go through at least a year in your yard and see how, it, how uh, you know how it does. Um, and then if you see a lot of dye back in the spring, then I'd contact whoever you got it from and see if that you can exchange it for another one. The redbud's a beautiful tree. It's gorgeous in the spring, puts out big heart-shaped leaves and has seed pods on it. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a really neat tree to have. Um, it blooms before it leaves out, which is a little bit different feature, kind of like a magnolia does and, and some of the other early spring flowers, azaleas. So I'd give it another, give it a a chance to bloom, see how it does.
1: Okay. Texter says, can I transplant a small climbing rose now?
2: Um, I I think at this point I would probably wait and transplant it in the spring. Um, Just because it's a woodier plant. And unless you're going to do construction or you're going to have to dig up that space for some reason, that's different. But right now... It's probably best, unless you absolutely have to transplant something, I would wait until spring to do it. It's it's a, better for the plant. Uh, it's easier to do from a gardener's standpoint. And it also, you know, you'll have the whole season then for that plant to establish a strong root system in its new location.
1: Okay. Keith in Buffalo is calling in uh, with a question. Good morning, Keith. Hi, Keith. Hi good morning.
2: Yeah, I've got uh,
3: my tomato plants are doing great, but then in this past week I'm getting a lot of, branches coming out that are look like they are drying right up. The leaves are turning brown and drying right up, like over, almost like overnight.
2: Okay. So they're probably dealing with uh, something like um, a septoria leaf spot, or it could be a late blight, early blight, one of the blights. Um, and it's just, it's the best thing to do is choose a plant in the, you know, next year when you go to look at tomato plants, look for something that has, uh, that is uh, disease resistant, choose a variety. Uh, if you're locked into your variety, then the, uh, and this is a good practice for all tomatoes, is you want to plant the tomatoes. You want to space them appropriately so that you can, you can get airflow around them. You want to mulch the base of that plant so that you can prevent soil from splashing up onto those lower leaves. We've had a lot of rain. That could be why you're seeing it right now. The soil holds pathogens in it sometimes, and that can affect the leaf. And then be sure that you're rotating your nightshade crops: tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, eggplant, tomatillos are all in the nightshade family. Move them around, further away from the original planting location, the better. And uh, and and be sure that if you're staking them with bat with cages or poles, that you're cleaning those things along with your tools with a um, uh, alcohol and um, or bleach solution, 10% bleach solution.
1: Okay. Julie, we have to take a quick break, but we have more show to come, more Smart Garden show to come here on 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to our Smart Garden show around every Saturday here on CCO in the 8 o'clock hour. And uh, Julie and I. Along with uh, Professor Eric, will be uh, one week from today at Professor the Professor Eric, I like that, yeah. we're familiar first name. Yeah. Right? Uh, he's been on. Yeah. he's been on the show a few years out there.
2: He now, has. Yeah, as, well as you have. Yeah,
1: it's 651-989-9226. I know we got a lot of text messages. We could catch up on too, uh, Julie. In just a moment, Gene Stillwater has been waiting. Go ahead, Gene. Thank you.
3: Um, yes, I was wondering what's the proper time to transplant the fairy flowers. If you see them in the springtime when the leaves come up. You see them again now when the flowers come up and in between you don't know where they are.
2: Um I can you give me some more information on what the plant is?
3: Um it's they're called fairy flowers or magic flowers and what they do is in the springtime they send up fat or flat leaves that look like fingers. Green. Okay. And then they disappear. All the greenery disappears. And then at this time of the year it sends up um a uh, pink or, or lavender.
2: Like a lily? Lily okay. type flower. Okay. So I, I want to say these are the belladonna lilies. I'm not really sure, though. but um, So you're, you want to know about transplanting those. If they're spring blooming, I would think that in the fall would be, you know, after they're done blooming now, when the bloom dies back, then I would dig them up and I would transplant them for next spring.
1: A texter Julie wants to know, do I need to worry about bees if I use insecticide, she names a brand or he, uh, uh, products on my evergreen trees and shrubs? Can I pour the liquid around the base of the trees instead of okay. spraying
2: them? Okay. So uh, evergreens are, are for the most part, not really pollinator plants. The, the bees do go in and look for um, resins of things like poplars and, um, and a little bit on, on some evergreens, I think. However, um, the big question, the big point of this question, I, I think, is the use of a pesticide improperly. So if the, if the pesticide is a spray, don't pour it on the ground. It's not meant to be used that way. It's meant to be sprayed. And if you do spray your evergreens, I'm, you know, first of all, make sure that you're spraying the appropriate product for whatever the issue is and make sure that the issue requires a spray. In a lot of cases... It's temporary. Example, are sawfly larvae. Sawfly larvae attack uh, will e- feed on evergreens in the spring. Well, they're only around for about a week and a half or two weeks, so they're really a powerful spray of water will take care of those. If you're spraying for spider mites, uh, that could be you know something that you would be spraying a miticide, and a miticide will affect only mites. It doesn't affect other insects necessarily. However... Uh, we're finding that things that we think are not affecting pollinators can affect pollinators. So whatever you use, you have to be really judicious with it and you have to target exactly that plant and okay. use it the way that it says on the label. So uh, don't pour it in the ground. It's not meant to be done. Use that way. Spray it very carefully. Uh, protect other plants that it may affect and, uh, and really make sure that you're, that you have to spray something, that you're really going to lose that plant. And then make sure that you're spraying for the proper issue.
1: And like you always said, and you said it again, read the read label.
2: Read the label. Follow the label. The label is a legal document. And technically, if you don't follow the label, you're breaking the law.
1: Hmm.
2: All right. Sorry.
1: Uh, Glenn and Shakopee is on the horn with a question. Go ahead, Glenn.
2: Thank you for
3: my for taking my call. Sure. I got a maple bottom blaze trailer a tree that I planted here about approximately two years ago. Okay. And it's about 18 feet now, probably. And I want to trim it. Is it possible I could trim it, and I'm going to form a good crutch? And which mm-hmm. way would the crutch should be, south, north, or west, east?
2: Uh, I don't think that it matters on the like the direction of the crutch. It's good that you're thinking about pruning that tree, and you can prune it now. Um, take a look at our website because we have some information on pruning trees and shrubs. And, uh, and and it has some diagrams that might be helpful. So that ex, that's on extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab. And in this case, you're going to go to Yard and Garden and then go to Trees and Shrubs and look under the pruning section. And, um, and you can prune those now. And it is good to open up that canopy and create a good, um, you know, uh, a good form early on in the tree's life. So good for you, Glenn. That's awesome.
1: Very good. Let's go to New Prague. Carol is waiting there. Carol, you're on CCO with Julie.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, I love your program. First thank of all, you. Th- uh, the lady that called in about the pink, she called it a fairy lily. Yes. Well, when I ordered it, it was called a. It's called a resurrection lily. Okay. Yes, and uh, it's, it's also a mystery lily because it's popped up in my garden here that I didn't even know it was going to be growing anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <But> Surprise. Anyway, <laughs> anyway I, I have a little suggestion. Okay. Um, when when. Uh, I don't always catch the name of the plant when somebody asks a question. Okay. And if you don't repeat it, I don't know what they're talking about and and what the suggestion or the, the 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 solution is for this plant. It would be helpful if you could repeat it at least once more during your. Uh, you know, when you give the... I'll
2: try to remember to yeah. do that. <laughs> Thank you. You bet. Uh, and about
0: the hardy hibiscus, I have a couple of uh, those, and I've transplanted them, shared them with a friend, and they're very easy to transplant. Great. And I usually do it in spring after they sprout so that I know where to dig it and use a nice, sharp shovel. Great. Because the, the roots are very sturdy, but they do transplant very easily. Terrific. Then I have a white Phalaenopsis orchid, given to me, oh, many years ago, over 10 uh, at least, and it's bloomed a couple of times. It's a beautiful white orchid. And um, I tried to transplant it every so often, and one time I cut off quite a bit of the roots, and maybe that was a bad thing to do because it hasn't bloomed since.
2: Okay. Are the leaves pretty healthy? Yes. Okay. I think uh, with the orchids then, one of the things that you might want to do is is to make sure that it's um, in good light and that, and in the case of, you know, if it's if the roots, if the leaves are looking great, you might start to see a spike pretty soon. Because usually, I've I've noticed that the leaves are really big and beefy and shiny and green, and they're looking terrific. And then you start to see a spike coming, uh, you know, from the base of the plant. Uh, a little bit of fertilizer might work. Um, I wouldn't transplant it again because I think if it's doing well where it is, they tend to kind of like to grow outside of their pots, as you've probably found. So um, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's, it's looking great. And as we move into the lower light conditions, uh, that could be uh, the case and you know might prompt a little bit of that, uh, better growth and some, some blooming. And then also think about the, le- the uh, temperature too. So they like kind of cooler temperatures, and the changes in degree at night is important. So I think it's 7 to 10 degrees, they need a change of that temperature in the evening. So um, look at our publication on orchids, and I think there's some good information for you there on the extension site.
1: Excellent. Carol's going to be our last caller, and we're just uh, almost out of time, so yeah. we will let's gear up for the first Saturday at the fair. Yep. What do you say? We
2: will be at the state fair next week, and if you didn't get your question answered, you can go to the Extension site. It's extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab, go to Yard and Garden. There's lots of great publications, the diagnostic tools on insect identification, as well as What's Wrong with My Plant?, And also, is this plant a weed? And then ask extension. So, there's a number of different ways that you can get information, including talking to Master Gardeners or sending in an email to uh, ask extension.
1: Come out to our broadcast center at the fair the next couple of Saturdays. Come say hi and ask your question. Thank you, Julie. We'll see you on the fairgrounds. Sounds good. One week from today. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island.